morning, everybody. You are listening to or maybe watching Management Live. It is that time of the morning. It is about 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. And I'll let you figure out Pacific because you guys are entitled anyway. Just kidding. But it's time. It's time to begin. Today's Friday. Uh, let's see. Oh, December 4th. And there's some news. There's some interesting things to talk about today. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not upset about anything today, which is nice. Uh, there's nothing that I feel needs to be discussed or destroyed, unless you have something. So join me if you're live right now. Join me in the chat. You can go and add your comments over on YouTube or in Periscope or on Twitch. Those are all the places that I stream live to currently. And, uh, you know, it's hard, it's too hard for me to watch Twitter and also talk so that the chats are really the best way to do it. So let's just jump in because there's some weird, some weird, interesting news that I want to share with you guys. There is a meteor. It triggered a sonic boom across and, and what they call an astonishing flash of light across multiple states and Ontario, And so they have, uh, you know, one of these videos that CBS puts together on, on their site that, uh, that that's really dumb, that doesn't really show anything. But it's the, uh, I, think it, I think you're supposed to say Orionids is the name of the meteor shower that you can see. But what's interesting is that there is actually like a fireball. This happened yesterday. There were 150 reports of this fireball of one of these big meteors. And so I was able to find... Uh, unfortunately, it's um, it's not very good quality at all. Uh, but you can kind of sort of see this video. It's one of these like Twitter videos. So here we go. I'll show you this one. Uh, for those watching at home, you can see. Uh, a, uh, <laughs> this is the worst. It just shows a little, <laughs> a little speck of light moving across the sky. <laughs> so stupid. Um, but what is cool about it is after you see this little thing go by, then you see this intense flash of light. So here's the part of the video that shows that. Keep, oh, look at that. What was that? Someone turned on the lights. Exciting times. Unless you think it was a UFO, but I don't think it was a UFO. Uh Warner Brothers, this is some big news here. Warner Brothers is, <laughs> Jesse says, riveting video. <laughs> no kidding. I wonder if they'll take this one down from YouTube for showing that as well. Uh, Warner Brothers is going to be releasing all of its new 2021 movies simultaneously on HBO Max. Uh, they only come out and stay on HBO Max for a month, but it's pretty cool. I mean, this is big news um, because no one can go to the movie theaters right now and they want these big blockbuster movies. So let me give you the list of the movies that will, will be coming out through Warner Brothers. The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry. I'll talk about Tom and Jerry in a minute and how that offensive that is. Godzilla versus Kong. I'm looking forward to that one. Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, The Heights, Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Reminiscence, Malignant, Dune, very excited for Dune, The Many Saints of Newark, King Richard, Cry Macho, and The Matrix 4. Hmm. 
So there are some pretty cool ones. Those are all the movies that will be coming out over the entire 2021 year. Uh, and I wonder how long this will last, and I wonder when it will stop. In other words, how long will they do this? They've given this list of 2021 uh, movies that will be coming out, but how long will they keep doing that? Will they do it beyond? Have our in media consumption habits chained in, changed enough that movie theaters are just dead now and no one's going to go to them? I hope not. Hi, Eric Beavers. He says, good morning. It says these titles could change depending on delays. All films will be released on HBO Max in 4K, Ultra HD, and HDR. The moves, the, the moves will also uh, likely help Warner Media reach an agreement with Roku after months of fighting over a deal. Warner Media is also offering a limited deal, making HBO Max 22% cheaper for people who sign up for six months. Uh, so it's $69.99, and it works out to under just under $12 a month instead of $15 a month. It seems to me like HBO Max and Disney Plus are where people are going for movie-like entertainment. And Netflix and Hulu are where people are going for TV-like entertainment. Interesting, huh? Um, Cottle says, uh, if the theaters have to close permanently, would they ever stop? No, definitely not. And that's up to us. It's up to what happens after they say COVID is over because everyone's got vaccinations and herd immunity or already had it, whatever. Um, will we start going back to movie theaters? I will. I would love movie theaters. I love taking my kids to see a movie, especially my my son and I, whose tastes in movies are basically the same. Uh, we, we used to go to movie theater at least once, if not twice a month, we'd go to the Alamo Draft House and we'd get a nice big fat hamburger and fries and a drink and sit and watch a movie. And it was a wonderful way to spend part of your Sunday afternoon. And we missed that. So I'm all in favor of this happening again. But the idea of going right now to a movie theater and like just sitting in there without a mask on makes me my head explode a little bit. So uh, we'll have to see what what happens there. I hope it comes back, and I hope people are still interested. I think they will be. But if you think about the concept of a movie theater, the whole reason that a movie theater existed in the first place is because there was no way to get that content into everyone's individual homes. They didn't have televisions. And even later when they did, it still was an activity. So was going to Blockbuster. How many of y'all remember going to Blockbuster on a Friday night, you know, after school, you're going to eat some dinner, then you're going to go to Blockbuster, and you're going to pick out one of the new movies. You're going to bring it back, get some popcorn, and watch it with, like, your family. Does that happen anymore? Does anyone say, family, let's all watch a movie together at home that's just on Netflix? Is that how it works? What about when HBO used to come out with the big movie that they were going to finally get, the one that you maybe missed in the theater, and it was coming to HBO, right? And you'd say, oh, HBO, it's it's Saturday at 8 o'clock, uh, you're a kid. Let's watch this movie. Uh, that was like a fun, exciting thing. All right. Well, next subject. You know, we I talk a lot about uh, Twitter on yeah. Be kind, rewind. That's right. I'm saying that in the comments. I I really enjoyed Twitter for many years, and now mm, yeah, it it's hit or miss for me. So then there are these other networks that have come up. Uh, you've heard of Mastodon which is sort of for like the conspiracy theory counterculturists. So yeah, I got an account on there. Uh, and then they've also, I'm sure you've heard of Parler. 
But the problem with Parler, well, first of all, it, it, Parler kind of came out as a, a, a right-leaning alternative to Twitter, if I understand it correctly. But now they apparently have a, <laughs> a porn problem. Adult businesses are targeting what they're calling here in the Washington Post a pro-Trump social network. Um, and it says, anyone following the sexy Trump girl hashtag on Parler, a social media site increasingly popular with conservatives, got an eyeful one recent Thursday evening as images of topless women and links to hardcore pornography websites appeared at a rapid fire rate, often more than one per minute. Uh, and it says that the site's lax moderation policies in keeping with its claims to be a bastion of free speech could make it a magnet for pornographers, escort services, online sex merchants using hashtags targeting conservatives, conservatives such as Keep America Sexy and Mil <laughs> MILFs for Trump 2020. Um, it says the pornography threatens to intrude on users not seeking sexual material and has the potential to complicate hopes the site may have to expand advertising. <laughs> you know, this is just the Internet, folks. If you put something out there, porn winds up on it one way or another. Everything has porn. Every service will eventually get the porn. Uh, the fact that they were lax about it. But you know what's interesting is... And I have been asked this question a few times, but it's something that I personally don't even know the answer to. How would I feel as the founder of uh, Fireside and CEO of Fireside? How would I feel if, uh, let's just, we'll pick Nazis because everyone hates the Nazis. Uh, let's say that a Nazi podcast showed up on Fireside. Maybe there is one that I don't know about, but let's say a pro-Nazi podcast showed up there i have personally lots of reasons not to like the nazis and then there's the general reasons not to like nazis that i think m most people agree with um what would i do about that would it, let let's say that they're not breaking any laws they're not inciting violence they're not encouraging people to go and take any kind of actions they're just we all within the laws talking about being Nazis or something. I don't know. I'm making this up. What would I do about that? Should I let it stay on Fireside if they're not breaking any laws and doing nothing wrong, just sharing opinions that are against what most people like? Would I be within my rights to shut their account down? Would I let them continue indefinitely as long as they were a paying customer breaking no laws? What if people started to write in and complain and say, these guys are talking about Nazi values. They haven't threatened anyone. They haven't incited any violence. They haven't had any hate speech. Uh, maybe they're walking that, that very thin line between what you can say as a Nazi and hate speech. Let's just say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Would I ask them to leave? Should I ask them to leave? Would I cancel their account? I don't know. These are all very good questions that I don't have the answers to. Uh, Bill in a comment says, as a business, you need to assess who you want to do business with. And there are customers you can't afford to have. <laughs> Adolfo says, what did I just walk into a Nazi podcast? Yeah. Um, so it's a question. It's a question. And, uh, so far so good, but you don't know how long will that last? 
the problem with being a successful company, and I, I would say that I've worked very hard to help Fireside become successful, uh, but the, the, the downside or the risk of that is that you have to deal with these kinds of problems, uh, like Twitter and the other big services are always having to deal with. Speaking of Twitter, Twitter's turned off threaded replies. It says that they made conversations hard to read, and they are also shutting down its experimental app, TWTTR. Do you guys remember TWTTR? I kind of remember it, but I already forgot about it. But basically, they said that they were experimenting with threaded replies to make replies easier to read and follow, but they realized that it makes them harder to read and follow. Quote, we asked you to let us know this reply layout wasn't it, as it was harder to read and join conversations. So we've turned off this format to work on other ways to improve conversations on Twitter. You know, it's it's weird to me because there are so many ways that I think that you could that you could have made Twitter easier to use, made Twitter better. And threaded replies is fine. It's okay. But people always complain that you can't edit tweets. And this is something I've thought about. Why does Twitter make it so that you can't edit tweets? And the only theory that I could come up with is that in for some reason, they want it so that when you post a tweet, this is my theory. And I think it's the same reason that YouTube does not allow, oh, and we'll talk about YouTube in a second. It's the same reason that I think YouTube doesn't allow you to re-upload a video to replace the old video. And that is, let's say that I, I say something really amazing on Twitter, really, truly amazing that resonates with a lot of people, and it gets 10,000 likes and 3,000 retweets and a hashtag that starts trending, right? If I were to be able to edit that, let's say there was a typo in it, not editing the content of it, but instead of typing T-H-E, I typed T-E-H. And now this amazing tweet, the best tweet of my life, has a typo in it, and I just want to correct it. That seems reasonable. But what if I decide that I actually want to say something different? Let's say that my tweet was a really funny joke, but now that I see that it's gotten all of this attention, I want to change it to promote this YouTube channel, let's say. I think that's what they don't want for whatever reason. That's my theory on why they don't want it. I think it's the same reason YouTube doesn't allow you to upload the videos, like I said, because what if I have a video that's like trending and really popular and now I want to change it and have it be something else as a way to keep, as I don't think they want that. So that's my theory. Uh, some interesting comments coming in. Uh, Sandy says, um, how did I not know that? Oh, she's just uh, responding to the fact that I'm here on YouTube. Yes, Sandy. This has happened before. It's been happening for a while, and I'm enjoying it, and I enjoy the people who tune in, and so I would love it if, you know what? i got to ask you guys a favor. I know this is like the YouTube-like thing that all the YouTubers say, but like actually like and subscribe to the video. I don't understand why, but when I publish these videos, so you, this is a YouTube live stream. It's also on Periscope. It's also on Twitch. So simultaneously, after I'm done with it on YouTube, it goes into this like processing mode where they hold it for like 24 hours before they release it. 
So if you have the URL or you saw the tweet about it, you can click that and watch it. But if you just went to my YouTube page right now, which is youtube.com slash Dan Benjamin, you won't see this show until tomorrow. They hold it back. And I read about it, and there are a lot of people who are experiencing this. It's not just me. At least I don't think it's just me. And yet there are other people who have a huge Twitter, uh, huge YouTube audiences, much bigger than the hundreds or, or thousands that I get on these videos. When they publish their video, they do the live stream just like I'm doing it. And when they're done, theirs goes up immediately. Now, like I said, if you have the link for it or the tweet or you subscribe to me, on YouTube, you can get to it. But if you just go to the YouTube page, it's not there. Whereas other people's are there. So I was talking to a friend of mine who's in the know, and he told me it might be because of the YouTube partner program, which is the thing that lets you monetize videos. And I'm not, mon I have no plans to monetize these videos through YouTube. Uh, however, apparently being part of that monetization partner program he, his suggestion or theory is that maybe that's what's letting these other people's get uh, published so much more quickly. Now, here's the thing. I meet all of the criteria, this channel, all of the criteria, except one. I don't have enough, concur uh, not concurrent, I don't have enough cumulative time spent watching. So go watch my old videos. I don't need much more. I need like a couple thousand hours more, which sounds like a lot. But if there's a thousand people who all watch an hour or 2000 people who watched one of these episodes, I'll be there. So tell your friends how amazing this is because this is the best part. I know this is the best part of your day. It's the best part of mine. So hi, Sandy. Um, Eric says, if it's your company, like Twitter's private, you have every right to kick them out arbitrarily. True. I have every right. But should I? Would I? Um, <laughs> uh, there's some funny comments in here. Uh, Adolfo says, cultural norms are in constant flux and influence what is deemed acceptable censorship. I hate the notion of censorship, but again, I think a YouTube channel of beheadings is unacceptable. I think most people would agree with you. But then again, if, if my view on something is not typical, let's just say, but not offensive. No one cares about it, right? Like if I believe that trees are sentient and can understand you if you sing to them, YouTube probably wouldn't kick me off if I said every time, let's let's go hug some trees, everybody. They're going to listen to us if you sing to them. People would think I was nuts and no one would watch, but they wouldn't kick me off YouTube for it. But if I had an opinion, and, and I'll go on record and say I think that might be wrong, but if I had another opinion that was wrong, that offended people, or offended an entire s section of people or segment of people, would YouTube have the right to kick me off? And it's interesting because there seems to be this, this is a bigger, we're off the news now, aren't we? There's a bigger topic here because is it, is it necessary to protect people to protect the audience, the world, from certain topics and concepts? Is it necessary to protect people from that? Because that's really what censorship is, in, in a way, if you think about it. Censorship is about protecting people from ideas, thoughts, concepts that might, what, convince them? What's the fear? 
if you're an intelligent person, a knowledgeable person, a wise person, you're not going to be taken in or fooled by something. You're going to question it. You're going to say, is this true? I might want to read more about this. And the one person who's saying it may not be credible. And I'm not sure that I believe the things that they're saying. So you might come back and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn more about this. But as you know, ideas can be very dangerous things. And there are not a lot of wise people out there watching a lot of these videos. And that's I think why Twitter and YouTube and other places feel that they need to censor something or why Wikipedia puts a little banner uh, thing up there. And now YouTube is doing that um, with a link to like if so if I were to start talking about UFO abductions, even if I wasn't saying that they're real, if I was just discussing them, there is a good chance that YouTube would put a little banner under the video saying get the facts about UFO abduction conspiracy theory. And it would be to like an article on Wikipedia kind of debunking it. I've seen this happen a lot because I watch a lot of UFO videos. What are, are they, what are they trying to do? In my opinion, they're almost trying to protect the viewer, the listener, the reader from believing an idea that may or may not be true. It's interesting. Uh, Graham says, what if you wrote the great tweet with a, 10,000 uh, 10, retweets and replaced it with um, MILFs for Trump 2020. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what they're, wor they're worried about. Um, sentient trees would definitely be a recommended video, to be honest. Yes, I, I think you might be right. Sent sentient trees. <laughs> um, Bill says, the more interesting question is, when is a service so essential that denying it to someone for almost any reason would be unacceptable? Electricity, internet, YouTube. If you were to ask my kids, YouTube is the world. They don't watch TV unless we like pick a show to watch together. They're they're watching YouTube. They're wa the Apple TV is the conduit for YouTube for them if they're not on their iPads. Like that's what they watch, YouTube. They don't watch TV. They wouldn't watch cable if we had it. Uh they're not finding a show on Netflix to watch. The only time that my uh 13-year-old, almost 13-year-old son uh watches something not YouTube is when he and I sit down in the evening when um, my a little girl has gone to bed and he and I watch a movie. That's the only time that he's watching anything other than what's on YouTube. Pretty different world. And it's all on demand and he can find exactly the stuff that he wants to watch. My daughter loves the Minecraft and Among Us videos. more. She seems to like watching them more than playing the games. It's a fascinating world. Uh, Eric E.T. says, YouTube is my world if I didn't have it. I'd be lost, but me too. Me too. Uh, Sandy is asking, uh, how often do you do this? I'd love to add it to my calendar and watch while I'm doing mindless stuff at work. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, I need to get my sound effects so I can have little cheers and stuff because they're so annoying. But uh, Sandy, I do this five days a week, Monday through Friday, usually right at 10 Central, 11 Eastern. And uh, I guess that would be 8 Pacific, but we're not going to talk about Pacific time. All right, let's do a little more news because there's a little more here. Speaking of YouTube, they're going to be asking commenters to rethink posting if their message seems offensive. So they're using, of course, machine learning, AI type stuff, looking for words or sentences or phrases. And they will be uh, they will be pulling comments and marking them and saying, are you sure? Because listen to this. It says, there's no question, this is an article on The Verge, there's no question that YouTube has a problem with hurtful comments on the site, but one of the bigger issues is hateful comments. 
Uh, through automatic filtering, the company has removed over 46 times more daily hate speech comments since early 2019 than ever before. Uh, then there's videos. YouTube claims that of the 1.8 million channels terminated last quarter, more than 54,000 were terminated by what they call hate speech. Those were the most bans for hate speech content in a single quarter that YouTube has ever seen, three times as high as in early 2019 when new hate speech policies went into effect. They're also trying to combat other issues affecting creators like monetization bias, burnout, and channel growth concerns. So this is an interesting article. Um, and by the way, if you want to see these show notes, you can go to, uh, you can go to dbl.fireside.fm slash... I don't know what show it is, 11, whatever the newest one is, guys. I'm sorry. I, I think of it in terms of video, but I still have this as a podcast. And, yeah, I'm happy about something I'll tell you about. I have made it so easy for me to turn this show into a podcast. Um, is that something you guys want to hear about? Do you want to hear about how I do that behind the scenes? It'll only take a second. I'll tell you. I use OBS, which is amazing streaming software, uh, I used to use Wirecast and pay uh, through the nose for it, and, and then OBS came out, and it changed everything. And that's what pretty much – there's Streamlabs OBS or Slobs, and then there's just OBS. I just use OBS because it's nerdier. And what you can do is you can identify individual tracks that you want to record. So if I have a guest or like when I play uh, video content – um, that has audio, those are all recorded on separate tracks. And then I also have one track where they're all merged. So now, uh, because I've done, um, the, the post-processing that I do on my voice is fairly minimal. I do a little bit of EQ, very subtle. I do a little bit of compression, and the compression is just to help level out the voice, bring the lows a little higher and the highs a little lower. Uh, even though I have perfect mic technique, I mean, who needs compression? But I'm just kidding. Of course, everyone needs compression. And then I have a, a, a little subtle noise gate so that when I click the mouse, it's not as loud, that kind of thing. Uh, so I added those to OBS because it has it allows you to import filters. So I have some really high end filters that I imported to to do that. And now when I uh, get that uh, fully combined channel, I can just grab that that and convert it to an MP3 and publish it. It's amazing. It saves me so much time. It's amazing. Um, a couple of people asking about OBS. OBS on Windows or Mac, I hear it's easier on Windows. OBS works the same on Windows as it does on Mac from the visual standpoint. Behind the scenes, it is, I believe, much more optimized and preferable on Windows. It seems more stable on Windows. It certainly is faster. But the key, the key to this is if you have a, an NVIDIA graphics card, uh, like the 1050, 1060, or an up, you're going to get tremendous benefits for streaming. For example, right now, the CPU of this computer, I'm streaming this to multiple locations. Um, I'm not doing anything with Skype guests, uh, but I'm streaming at uh, 1080p uh, at 60 FPS. CPU is at 3.1%. I could have tons more going on on that server, on this computer rather, uh, and and it wouldn't miss a beat. Same exact thing when I tried it on a Mac Mini, which by all rights should be CPU-wise just fine, not a new M1, but one of the, uh, the latest one prior to that. It got so hot, we could not physically 
touch it. It was too hot to touch, and the fans were going nuts, and it was completely insane. Why? Because it can't offload any of that encoding, the video encoding aspect to it. It can't offload that onto the GPU. Uh, the GPU, I spent $130 on an NVIDIA GTX 1050, 135 bucks, I think, and it was is night and day difference. So that's you can't put one of those in a Mac. So go get a cheap Windows machine and put a $135 graphics card in it, and you'll be streaming. Uh, ET says OBS is low-key, one of the best tools out there. I use it for screen recording on the Windows side. It's amazing. Uh, can you do a video on the OBS noise gate? I need to do a video on how I'm using OBS in general. Um, not that I'm doing anything that's super unique, but I think it would be a neat opportunity to share what I am doing uh, in a way that would make sense to people. Um, so we can talk about that. But there's a little more news. There's an article here on The Verge saying YouTube is failing its creators. Um, burnout. There is apparently a burnout epidemic. YouTubers feel compelled to make nonstop videos for an ever-hungry audience, afraid to take breaks for fear of losing momentum or worse, being reprimanded by the algorithm that decides what videos people see. While the company claims to want to alleviate burnout on the platform, most of its help has amounted to empty PR and unhelpful data. But the way that the algorithm works is the more videos you produce, obviously the more people you hope will watch them and the more people will subscribe to the channel and things like that, but if you stop making videos, you can get demonetized, you can, uh, you can get lowered in the algorithm because you're not coming out with content constantly. So it's an interesting article if that's your kind of thing. Uh, now on to a slightly nerdier subject. GitHub has its uh, report out about uh, languages and what languages are most popular on the platform. And Python and TypeScript are rising so if you look at this graphic right here that I'm showing you, because you're watching uh, on YouTube, aren't you? You can see JavaScript is number one, seems like it's always been number one going back to 2014. And that's because almost every single project in any language, if there's any kind of web component to it, you're almost always using JavaScript. Like Fireside is written in Ruby on Rails, of course, but we use JavaScript. So it counts toward the JavaScript numbers, followed by Python. And then uh, Python has taken a jump since 2018 to be number two in 2019. Java, pretty high. Always surprised to see Java that high these days, but a lot of people do it. You can see PHP taking a little bit of a nosedive, uh, though not as bad as C++. But look at that Ruby nosedive. In 2015, it started to fall, and every year from 2015 to 2018, it fell. It lost at least a position every year until it plateaued at 2018 at the very bottom of the top 10. The very bottom of the top 10. Poor Ruby, but still a great language I love to use. Uh, right up my alley here, uh, a little bit of UFO stuff. So, you know, every president has an opportunity to, uh, to learn about the UFOs. And... Um, Oh, uh, Barack Obama was recently on Colbert, and they talked about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play you this clip. It's it's a minute and 15 seconds long. I'm not gonna play the whole thing, but have a little listen here. UFOs? Any UFOs? Did you ask about that? I certainly asked about it. And? Can't tell you. Sorry. Okay. All right. I'll take that as a yes. Because if there were none, <laughs> you'd not? say there was none, right? <laughs> you just played your hand. 
See, and that's the thing. You you know, if there were no UFOs, if there were no aliens, and Barack Obama was asked, are there UFOs? He'd say, nope, nope. He wouldn't say, I can't tell you. Would he? Think about it. If someone asked you something and you knew the answer, but you weren't allowed to say, you'd say, I can't tell you. If the answer was no, you'd just say no. You would just say no. You'd just say no. So I'm sitting down on, on your way to work. Did you rob that gas station? No, I didn't rob that gas station. I didn't even get gas today. Okay. Did you rob that gas station? Oh, I can't tell you. I can't say. I can't say. Because it's true. It's true. <laughs> Adolfo, cold fusion for life. I miss, I miss cold fusion. No, Adolfo, Ruby is not becoming the cobalt of languages. Java is the new cobalt, Chris. I agree with you there. But TypeScript, yeah, I, I um. I don't know anyone using TypeScript. Um, okay, hold on. More questions are coming in. Uh, Adolfo says, I notice you're not using a mic screen. How do you deal with the P's and S's or what we call plosives? So this is the Telefunken, and it does have a little bit of a screen built into it. But I have been in front of a microphone almost every day for many hours a day f since 2006. So I'm good at I'm good at talking into a microphone. You'll notice, for example, that I'm not talking directly into the microphone. The microphone's pointed at my mouth, but I'm kind of talking over it. Neat little trick. That helps a lot. But you don't really need a pop screen if you know what you're doing and if you have a microphone that kind of has one sort of built in, which this one does. Uh, the Shure um, SM7B has a very minimal pop screen, windscreen over it. Uh, but everybody's different. Everybody's technique is a little bit different. But this this works. You don't hear them, do you? You don't hear them, do you? Okay. And I think we've got... Yeah, this is some other good news. The seven-year fear of Americans legally getting to make in-flight calls has come to an end. That's right. They had a proposal out for a long time. Back in 2013, the FCC said that it would be considering removing a ban on passengers making phone calls once the plane was cruising at over 10,000 feet. Um, but even the FCC didn't like it. They said they would prefer people to not be allowed to make calls on a plane. There was strong opposition, and they finally ruled that uh, no, it says, e here's the quote from uh, the AFPA says, uh, just because something is technically feasible does not automatically mean it should be considered for public policy. In other words, even if you can, it doesn't mean that you should. And I would agree with that. Can you imagine as bad as flying can be anyway if everybody was making phone calls the whole damn time? And I'm going to end, uh, as far as the news, with this story. Um, we've talked about before quantum computing and things like that. Well... Light-based quantum computer has exceeded the fastest classical supercomputers. This is a big deal because uh, there haven't been a lot of practical uses yet for quantum computing. We know they're fast. We know that they may be the answer to the future of computing. Remember a week or so ago I told you, pay attention. Quantum computing might not be now, but in five years it's going to be the thing. Well, here you go. Um, they said that they set up uh, lasers and mirrors to solve the problem. It says it's far too complicated for even the largest traditional computer system. Um, so that's kind of cool. Well, a quantum computer, for those of you who don't know, it's essentially made of photons. 
And based on the states of these photons, that's how they do the computing. So instead of having little zeros and ones and switches, it's done with photons. And that's about as much as I know about quantum computing in general. But uh, Google got headlines when its quantum computer, which is called Sycamore, uh, sentient trees. Do you see? Do you see what I'm talking about? Sentient trees. Sycamore took roughly three minutes to do what would take a supercomputer three days. In their paper, the USTC team estimates that it would take the Sunway Taihu Light, the third most powerful supercomputer in the world, 2.5 billion years to perform the same calculation as this new computer, the Zhuizhang computer. Zhuizhangus is an elaborate tabletop setup of lasers, mirrors, prisms, and photon detectors. It's not a universal computer that could one day send emails or store files, but it demonstrates the potential of quantum computing. And that's the thing, is uh, we're, we're still not really sure how we're going to be even doing stuff with quantum computers. It's just a technology that's there that shows a lot of promise. So uh, there you go. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, so let's let's see some of these. Um, at the turn of the century, I was uh, Chris says I was stuck in the public sector managing a project that was COBOL targeting a Wang, <laughs> those computers, but being emulated on an HP UX box. Fun. Yeah, um, you're right, Chris. He's saying that Java has the virtual machine, and that business logic is going to be ported for decades, and folks will pay to do it. You're absolutely right. Uh, yes, there's some spam in there already. But yeah, encryption breaking is the top use likely first, Chris says. And I think you're right. If we can get quantum computing uh, to have that kind of practical application that we could say, here, solve this encryption, encryption's going to be gone. Encryption's just going to be done. We're going to need something else. Encryption's a stopgap anyway. It's a Band-Aid. Well, that's all I have for you guys right now. But uh, I will add, if you don't mind, go back and watch these other videos. Every view counts. I want to get so that they publish right away. Like and subscribe. I guess I'm supposed to say that. And also, don't forget, there's just a podcast version of this show as well that you can enjoy. Uh, just go to dbl.fireside.fm and, uh, and check it out there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, I'll be back Monday.